Deep pattern, downfield, touchdown Miami. What a throw, Devontae Parker. Holy smokes, what a drive. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose each and every day of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, it's Fan Friday and Football Friday. Can you brand the same show twice? Well, we did. We're going to answer some of your Twitter questions. I'll pick the NFL slate, give you some things to watch for on Saturday's college football slate, and we'll be joined by John Kinjemi to give us the last word on this upcoming season opener up in Foxborough. Plenty to come on this Friday edition of the Drive Time Podcast. From the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins Going off of the Thursday injury report for you, here's what we have for Dolphins and Patriots on Sunday. For Miami, it's the same as the Wednesday report with Liam Eichenberg and Preston Williams listed as limited participants at Thursday's practice. Savon Ahmed, Clayton Thudgelum, Devontae Parker, Elandon Roberts, and Albert Wilson all listed as full participants. For the Patriots, a couple of changes. Nelson Aguilar and Jalen Mills were both downgraded to did not participate at Thursday's practice. Yadne Kajus was limited again following Wednesday and Thursday's practice. And Ronnie Perkins added to the list as a limited participant at Thursday's practice. Let's get the last word on this game and welcome in John Kinjemi. And joining me now on the Drive Time podcast for, I think, the first time since draft season, perhaps, is John Kinjemi. John, how you been, man? I'm doing great, Travis. Looking forward to the season. It's been an exciting offseason and, and preseason with training camp and the uh, and the way the games uh, rolled out in the preseason. So actually getting and looking forward to making them count in, in the win or loss column. So it's an exciting time for the Dolphins. It seems like every offseason, the offseason gets longer. And this year was like 10 times the case because of, I just think the way the, you know, the world and COVID are right now. So I think football coming back is always a very, very welcome sight. And we hit the ground running here, John. Another road game to kick off the season at a division foe in the New England Patriots. And I want to go ahead and start there with you here. You know, prepping for a team that had so much turnover a year ago, and, and you got some film on them, obviously, but limited amounts. And the Dolphins coaching staff kept talking about how the one thing we're guaranteed to see is something we're not expecting to see this week. So I wanted to get your perspective, you know, a former player. What is it like preparing for a team in week one that has so many new pieces to their roster compared to even just like a week two game where you do have at least that one game of film? Well, it's a lot different, and you have to prepare for the unexpected, which is always difficult to do because, you know, you're you're a creature of habit in the National Football League and, and really any league that you play in, whether it's college, uh, high school, and, and at the best at the NFL. And you're always, you know, trying to study tape and then see where you can break that down with the players that you have, what kind of scheme, what kind of offensive formations, maybe what kind of different blitzes or disguising of coverage that you can come up with that will throw the opposing quarterback off or throw the offensive line off where they can't identify correctly. You end up having a big guy on your running back and all the different things that film study and probably week four or week five is a lot easier to do than in week one because 
naturally, none of these teams have shown what they're going to do in the regular season on a consistent basis in the preseason. So just much like the Dolphins have a, a brand-new offense with co-offensive coordinators, I'm sure the New England Patriots are preparing for ghosts that they haven't seen yet in the preseason, whether that's a, a throwback to the tight end, a shovel pass, uh, uh, you know, sneaking a tight end uh, from one side of the formation to the other in the red zone where a linebacker loses him in coverage. Maybe it's a, a different type of fly sweep motion with a reverse or something that they haven't seen that's going to happen in week one that you're going to have to adjust to on the fly. And that's why it's best to kind of, you know, where Brian Flores' head is at right now, listening to him during the week, he wants to make sure that all his bases are covered, but the fundamentals that the Dolphins have been preaching for, for three years now, going into year three, that those aren't lost on the players on the roster, that they can tackle in space well, that they can, you know, not see ghost in coverage and, and play your assignment and, and make sure if you're, you know, taking the, the A or B gap in, in run support, you're not trying to make the play. So you're covering up a linebacker that's supposed to make that play. All those little things have to fall in place in week one, maybe carrying into week two, but especially in the opening week that you don't do too much, that you don't prepare too much for, for the things you haven't seen, that your players and their rules will adapt naturally and organically on the field so you don't give up that big explosive player. You don't have that big bust in coverage. And you and I sure as hell have seen the the practice of the preaching of Brian Flores with the technique and fundamentals out here. Every day at practice, John, you saw it all summer long. They go through those fundamental drills over and over and over again to make sure they're sharp and it has helped them produce, you know, low turnover rates, high turnover rates on the defensive side of the ball, as well as good penalty numbers as well. And I want to go ahead and follow up there with you because you mentioned, you know, the the week one idea that, you know, a throwback or a certain screen design you haven't seen before. So many things that can wind up beating you because, you know, that one big play might be all it takes, especially in a game that I think we all can probably assume is going to be a bit of a rock fight on Sunday. I don't know how you feel about that, but you mentioned the, the, the anomalies of week one, and we all we see it every year. Every single year there are teams that get picked off that you don't expect to in week one. And what are some of the common traps, you know, outside of what you just told us, that can kind of lead to the amount of upsets we see? And how do you avoid those traps? Well, a, a good example of that is going to college football in week one and looking back at that Alabama-Miami game. I know Miami fans don't want to you know, <laughs> regurgitate you know, week one right now, but, I mean, it's a, it's a microcosm of what could happen in the National Football League. You, you saw penalties. You saw poor tackling in the open field. Uh, you saw poor field position lead to good field position for the better team. And you saw some missed assignments. All of those things contribute to whether you're going to have a better chance in the fourth quarter to win or lose a football game. And I, I think that applies this week, especially with the Dolphins going on the road, playing a, a rookie quarterback with a, a, a legendary coach that's going to prepare him and a good offensive coordinator that's going to prepare a quarterback for everything that he's going to see and everything that he's done in the preseason. And then on the defensive side for the Dolphins, you know, can they get off the field you know, by getting that open field tackle that, that you miss a tackle leads to a first down. And all of a sudden, six plays later, the Patriots are, are in scoring position or they have scored because of that one play. 
Um, I think the Dolphins are in a good shape because they've been a disciplined football team over the last two and a half, three years. So I, I think that bodes well. If that thread carries over into this season, especially in week one, that's probably 15 to 30 to 45 yards of hidden yardage you don't account for. So a lot of those things, Travis, I think happen in week one that, you know, they're going to happen throughout the season, but I think you get beat more in week one with penalties and bad tackling and poor field position and missed assignments than you do when you can overcome those maybe in week four, week five, week six, when you kind of know what you are as a football team. And Patriots, the number one least penalized team over the last two years. The Dolphins, the second least penalized team since 2019. And that's one of many things that makes this matchup so intriguing, John. The other part for me is how versatile and flexible both these teams can be. I think New England's probably the one team in the NFL that can compete with Miami's ability to be versatile and flexible. Now, defense, you're a little bit more beholden to the terms of the offense, right? But I was I was wondering if... You might be able to draw on your playing experience here, John, but also your knowledge of this team and this game and the current landscape of the league to tell us if there's a way to more so dictate the terms defensively to get the groupings you want on the field. Because, you know, Miami's, for instance, defensive back depth is so deep and, and so good. But if the Patriots come out and they run you know, 12 personnel or 22 personnel where there's only one receiver on the field, that might dictate the terms in terms of how the Patriots want to line up against you. Is there any way the defense can kind of say, we're going to do this and you're going to have to take us out of it? Um, I don't know if the defense can, but I think you can on offense. I think tempo and no huddle and, and the way you go about uh, creating first downs in, somewhere in the first half, I think that can dictate uh, maybe what you see defensively and keeping guys on the field. I know that if the Dolphins kind of go into a hurry up or a, a no huddle once they get an initial first down, you know, that's going to dictate to New England, hey, you're going to have to stay with Wenovich on the field or you've got Uche on the field. You're going to have to keep him or Kyle Van Noy on the field. You're going to have to keep those guys in maybe a position where they're comfortable, but they'd be better suited for something else. So I, I think you can you can get to that point either on offense or on defense you know, defensively, if you come up and the Dolphins uh, try to run the football early and, and New England's defense is very stingy on first and second down, now you're kind of dictating to the Dolphins what we can do with our defense. We're going to pin our ears back and let, you know, uh, Matt Geron, you know, off the edge, off of whoever's playing left tackle for the Miami Dolphins. You know, I think that's a, that's a matchup you're going to have to watch. So you, you can do it on both sides. But I think with Tua and the offense and, and kind of if you're going to do something to maybe keep the New England defense on their toes and keep them stagnant, maybe it's after a couple of first downs, you see some tempo added and, and maybe a, a couple of plays of no huddle where you're on a roll. And if you're making first downs, you get a team on the run a little bit. And it might not be a bad idea for week one, you know, to test conditioning too, right? I mean, guys maybe aren't up yes. to full game speed quite yet. And that, that plays for both sides as well. So it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. I The more we talk about it, John, the more I can't wait for this game. I think it's going to be a great matchup and a great contest on Sunday. And I wanted to ask you a couple more things here before we get to the mailbag and some questions for you. Uh, two things, biggest concern, biggest opportunity. What do you think is the thing that would really prevent Miami that you're most concerned about from coming out of Sunday with a victory? I would say number one is the line of scrimmage. And I would say on both sides of the football. Uh, I think Miami has some question marks. Uh, Michael Dieter is going to start his first game at center uh, in the National Football League. Uh, the Dolphins, not sure 
uh, if it's going to be the rookie Eichenberg, if it's going to be Greg Little uh, starting a tackle or somebody else. Uh, I'm not so sure how that's going to roll out for the Dolphins, but I would say the line of scrimmage on both sides is going to dictate kind of, the, you know, the momentum of the game. Normally you're looking for big plays, but, you know, can you block Judon? Can you block uh, Uche or Kyle Van Noy? Uh, or, or Chase Wenovich or, or a guy, uh, Devon Godchow, who we haven't seen in different colors yet, you know, coming at us uh, on the New England side. Uh, and, and reverse, you know, can New England, uh, you know, handle Ogba? You know, can they ha- handle Van Ginkle? You know, can you get uh, Seeler and Davis and Wilkins, you know, moving on the inside with, with Baker coming off the edge uh, and, and good coverage behind that? I, I think that the line of scrimmage, especially early in the game, uh, is going to help one of these two young quarterbacks get into their offense. So I would say the biggest concern for me is the matchup and who's going to win that battle that allows their offenses to get to where they want to be, where they're aggressive in their play calling, or does it limit either team where they have to protect? And you know, now they're in third and nine, third and 11, third and 12, where you're not getting first downs with regularity. And it's a punting, you know, contest back and forth for field position. And who's going to blink first to make that big turnover or mistake? Well, now that you've sufficiently scared the fan base, John, <laughs> let's ask you. <laughs> let's ask you the biggest opportunity. Where can Miami make the most hay in this game and come out of the game with a victory on Sunday? I think the depth at wide receiver and the speed that the Dolphins have uh, to exploit New England, uh, you know, either with explosive plays over the top. But it doesn't have to be that. It could be run-after-catch opportunities with the likes, uh, you know, of, of Jalen Waddle and Albert Wilson, who's had such a great camp, and Jakeem Grant and Parker and Williams, uh, if those two guys are lined up on the outside. Kasiki, a tight end, being able to move him around, getting Gaskin and Ahmed the ball out of the backfield. Can you get run-after-catch opportunities, and can you make that first guy miss to extend drives? I, I think that's where the Dolphins, you know, New England's been – so good at that with James White over the years. You know, you see him come out of the backfield. It's a harmless play, but all of a sudden it's first and 10, and, and, and New England still has the ball. Can the Dolphins get to a point where they get some run-after-catch opportunities, and can they win that turnover battle? I think they can. If they can continue to where they left off last year with good pressure, solid coverage behind it, getting their hands on the football, I think that's probably uh, – probably leaning towards the Dolphins' side because they've done it in the recent past. And, and I think with this new dynamic of not knowing what the offense is going to be for New England, I think if you get some run-after-catch opportunities, you extend some drives that way, you get to feel like, you know, we've got some confidence now on offense and we can get to other things that we wanted to get to. We've got John Congemi here on the Drive Time Podcast, and we're in a lockstep on a lot of that stuff. I was talking about the offensive line of the Patriots being – one of the strongest units in this game in general, but also Miami's depth at receiver, possibly challenging a a Patriots secondary. It's always been very good, but right now maybe a little bit banged up. We'll see how they come out on Sunday. And let's see if we stay in lockstep here on the mailbag. John, we got a couple of questions for you. This first one comes in from Zach Pagano, at Zach Pagano on Twitter. Who scores? It's going to put you in the spot, John. Just want you to know that. Who scores the first (laughs) touchdown for the Dolphins on Sunday? First touchdown of the season for Miami goes to who? Uh, Mike Kosicki, uh, I think he's going to get a touchdown in this football game. I think he's going to get a one-on-one matchup where he's going to make not a crazy catch, but he's going to take the football away from somebody or it's going to be, you know, a ball that's over the top where he's going to be able to extend 
that frame and, and get, get a touchdown early. I love that pick, and he's made the crazy catches before, so it wouldn't surprise me either. And I also think back to one of the most memorable touchdowns, really, of the Brian Flores era for me was Mike Kosicki in Week 17 up, up in Foxborough to get that W. I'm going to go with Jalen Waddle. I, I just think this kid yep. is so much fun to watch and so explosive, and whether it's you know uh, catching a pass deep or intermediate or underneath or a screen or whatever it might be, I just think you want to find the way to get the ball in that guy's hands, and I'll, I'll expect him to make a play when he gets it in his hands. Next question here from Cameron Sparks, at Cameron Sparks, but it's a three instead of the E in Cameron. Uh, which rookie do you think will make the biggest impact in week one? We'll go to you first, John. Wow, rookie. Um, gosh, that's a tough one. I, I want to I say J- Jalen Phillips, but I, I think I'm going to go with Waddle. I, I think Waddle's going to have a pretty good game because you don't know what, what to expect. You know, He's so herky-jerky in terms of, his quickness, he looks like he's not moving so fast, but all of a sudden he has separation. So he might be able to catch some of those underneath passes. And like you know, we were talking about earlier, you get those run after catch opportunities. I think Waddle is a prime candidate for, for breaking the tackle or getting outside of leverage and being able to go up, you know, the sidelines and, and make a, a big play out of nothing. So I'm gonna go with Jalen Waddle. I can't wait to see it. I'm not going to repeat your answer. So I'll go Javon Holland because I talked about his instincts a little bit and his ability to, you know, if a quarterback is going to be maybe a beat late, he can definitely capitalize on those mistakes. We saw it all camp long and we saw it at Oregon too. So give me Javon Holland for that one. This next one here comes from Brian Brooker at Brian Brooker 23 on Twitter. Do you think Savon Ahmed gets more touches than expected this year? He was very good last year when he was filling in. And does Malcolm Brown get the short yardage work? So, John, Savon Ahmed more touches this year, and Malcolm Brown is your short yardage back. What do you think? It all, it, you know, that's that's a good question. It all depends on where the Dolphins are 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 getting the most bang out of their buck. You know, if Miles Gaskin is going. I don't see why you take him out of the game right. because he's proven he can play on every down. But Ahmed gives you a, a little bit different of a burst. Uh, he's a guy that's really good in the passing game. So I would say he, you know, it depends on the flow of the game. And I would say Malcolm Brown is going to be maybe a, a, a hit or miss guy for short yardage because I like the way Gaskin and Ahmed hit the hole as well as Mal- Malcolm Brown. So I, I think that whoever has the hot hand is going to be getting the bulk of play. I hope that. Savon gets more touches because he definitely deserves it. But the way the preseason looked and the way practices have looked, I think Miles Gaskin is going to get the majority of the carries. He played 65% of the Dolphins' snaps in every game he was healthy last year. And he just has that feel and that vision that just makes for production at that position. And we saw it last year in New England, catching the football, running the ball, doing a little bit of everything. But to that point, I mean, Savon Ackman was as explosive as anybody I saw here yeah. all camp long, like you mentioned. So I have high hopes for both those guys. I think running back was a position a lot of fans were, you know, curious about going into the draft and free agency. And it might have just been there was a couple of guys on the roster that are pretty dang good here with Miles and Savon, uh, formerly of UW teammates there. So, John Kinjemi, you said it all, my friend. I appreciate it. Always great to talk shop with you. And I've been saying this for about a year now, John, and it's probably going to have to wait until the offseason again because it's, you know, full time here in the season. But I want to get that round of 18 in with you, man. We're going to make it happen. <laughs> You know what? Maybe we'll do it on the bye week. There that you sounds go. Like, like a plan. <laughs> Beautiful Miami December weather. We'll take that. Week 14 is the bye week this year. John Kajemi, thank you so much, John. I appreciate it. You got it, Travis.
And so there he goes, John Kinjemi. It's been way too long since we had him on the podcast here. But we're going to get him on as much as we possibly can, as well as Kim Camper, to talk all things Dolphins on these Friday podcasts ahead of game day on Sunday. And it is that time of the year, man. Football is back. College football Saturday tomorrow. NFL on Sunday and Monday, of course. We had the game last night between the Bucks and the Cowboys. Man, I'm so excited. So we did the mailbag questions there with John. Let's go ahead and get into a few more of your questions that were more geared towards me. I wanted to kind of separate those two things. And we're going to go here and start with Jake Mendel at jmendel94 on Twitter. In terms of prep, what are the top three things you want to be thinking about when you walk into the stadium? And if you saw the, the back and forth with Jake and I, and Jake's a good buddy of mine and he works in the industry here, uh, he asked, I, I wanted some clarification with regards to the team or like my work. And he went specifically more into about my work and how I approach the game. So first things first, what's for lunch? I mean, in all seriousness, and when is that key line pie coming out? Because that's like my calm before the storm and call this silly. If you like it, it definitely is, but I get butterflies as kickoff approaches. And that's been the case since I was 15 years old watching this football team. The nerves I get are ridiculous. It kind of reminds me when I played football as a kid, and I hated football because I was small and I, it hurt <laughs> most of the time. But those same nerves kind of come up in a different way just because I want this team to play well and, and be successful so bad. So I feel those nerves, but that lunch definitely helps. But as far as the football stuff goes, and in, in, in real seriousness here, number one, I'm always reminding myself to be attentive pre-snap. And that's the best way to really... Let your eyes or let the football or, or the action you see pre-snap take you to the action post-snap. Like what's the offensive personnel and what's the defense's reaction to that? Are any defensive backs capped on the back end? That's usually a sign of a blitz. If you have a DB behind another DB, usually that's a, a blitz and replace type of look, stuff like that. Where are the linebackers? Are they mugged up? Are they off? Are they reacting to motion? What's the front? How's the quarterback reacting to that front and maybe communicating his protection? Are the corners showing press, off, man, zone turn? What are they looking at? So being very attentive pre-snap is something I have to remind myself of because it's the only way you're going to get all the information. And also with kind of tweeting games live, it's difficult to do both. So I try to be very attentive pre-snap and get my notes down when there's no action going on, even though that's pretty tough. My number two thing is what happens in the game that I can ask coach or players about after the game or that week for further perspective for the sake of storytelling. Like I, I really like to incorporate football talk with storytelling. So if I can weave those two together, then I think I've succeeded. And just trying to point out things that, <clears throat> excuse me, frog in the throat, things that I think aren't going to be covered other in other places, other publications. What can I give you that you can't get anywhere else? And part of that storytelling with football X's and O's, I think that's my approach as far as what is unique in the space. And so that's kind of number two. And the number three is my takeaways. You guys, if you're fans of the podcast, obviously listening to this one, we do the five takeaways on Sundays from the game. And that's like the number one thing I try to fill out. And those can get done early. They can get done late. They can change throughout the course of the game. But so number one, pre-snap attention. Number two, how the storytelling matches up with the X's and O's. And number three, my takeaways from the game. Jake, I hope that answers your question, man. But also the key lime pie at Hard Rock Stadium. Nothing beats that. 
Stephen Harris, at Stephen E. Harris on Twitter. What's up, Steve, man? We had a, a beer once upon a time back in training camp 2019, I think, one of those nights. You going to make it out to any games this year, man? I, I hope you do. We'll see you out there. But his question is, what players or scheme would you look to lean on to get the Patriots into the third and long? And once in third and long, who would you use to bring pressure? Well, a great callback to the Thursday podcast, the in-depth, uh, the deep dive of the Dolphins at Patriots. I talked about the key to the game being, you know, winning those early downs and forcing the Patriots into third and long. And <clears throat> I think I covered this in the podcast too, but I liked the bear front we saw in the Atlanta game, the preseason game with, uh, and that's where you go, basically bodies over the guards and center but you can also stretch that thing out now I don't know the terminology of what it's called when you go like so the bear the bear front is two two techniques which is head up over the guard and a zero technique head up over the center I'm not sure what it's called when you space those guys out a little bit there's some different things like mac o, mac odd o where you go with a, a three tech I believe and a, a four eye and then you have the outside linebackers out there as well that come down the line of scrimmage but I, I like the idea of getting those big bodies up front because of how big this Patriots offensive line is you know with Trent Brown one of the biggest tackles in the National Football League kind of Makai Becton senior in that way as far as one of those massive guys that can really really play and then on the interior too I mean Shaq Mason David Andrews and Michael Unwenu is a massive massive human so trying to match that that size to keep our linebackers clean is my is my perspective there my, my personal opinion but we saw you know plenty of three down last year as well in that week 15 game where I think the week one game had some more four down and I thought that adjustment made a big difference in those early downs and getting the run success because you look at the rushing difference 217 yards for the Patriots last year in the opener to just 117 in the week 15 game so obviously a very positive adjustment there and finding ways to keep Jerome Baker clean and just let him unleash that speed and play fast the way he does as far as the third downs variety all about variety we talked about this in the podcast about the ability to play coverage and then maybe chill out on some of the blitzes I don't personally think that's this game it could be who knows but in my opinion I don't think it's this game I think you still want to try to put bodies in the face and at the feet of the quarterback in Mac Jones and don't let him step up into the pocket and drive through the pocket because once he gets all those mechanics operating fluidly and cleanly he's very tough to stop and the nice thing is I think you have the ability to accomplish that on early passing down situations too. If they want to come out in their 12 or 13 or even 22 personnel package, you can get pass rush when they go PA off that with guys like Sealer, Butler, Davis, and, and Christian Wilkins. It's interesting to think about how you attack Trent Brown to me because you know Andrew Van Ginkle, I think, could challenge him with speed rushes and kind of that dip under and utilize his size against him to, to make him get out over his skis. But I also think Ogba and Phillips can really match his size and strength profile and use their length, like Ogba, for instance, and athletic profile, Phillips, to get that momentum in the wrong direction. Because if you can do that on Trent Brown, you can have some success, but it's very difficult to do. On the other side, Isaiah Wynn's worst game last year from a pressures allowed standpoint on PFF, just purely from the stats, was against the Broncos. He allowed five pressures in that game. No other game had more than two. He's a, he's a damn good player. And that was a healthy dose of Bradley Chubb. And I've heard from a few you know pundits, so to speak, a comparison of Phillips to Chubb. So something to think about there as far as matchups you want to look at. And then down the middle, Butler and Wilkins, the quickness they have off the off the football, their ability to do that and create gaps inside. I think those are some of the keys. Hope that answers your question. Miami Kid 88 at Miami Kid 88. I love it when you guys have the same name as your handle. Makes it so easy on me. He asks, 
I've been watching the Finns play for the past 20 plus years. This year seems different, and I don't remember being this excited since I saw my first game live in 1998. Marino broke 400 career touchdowns. What a great memory that is. When was your first game live, and how excited are you for this 2021 Miami Dolphins team? Let me first go back to an early memory I have. So I grew up in the Seattle area. You guys all know this about me, Washington State through and through, go Cougs. And the 99 wildcard playoff game in Seattle at the Kingdom, no six seed had ever beaten a three seed before. And my dad had this playoff pool he did at work, and he let me and my brother join. Of course, he footed the bill for that because we're we were like you know 12 and 15 years old, and we got to do these picks every week. And the playoff bracket came around, and nobody had the Dolphins in the bracket because they're all Seahawks fans, except for your boy. I took Miami. Now they implored me after we had that game from that game winning come from behind drive to please take Jacksonville in round two over Miami. I was like, I'm not doing it. Nope. Shannon Sharp shaking my head side to side, not doing it. Probably should have done it. 62-7. But that was my early memories of the Dolphins. My first live game, though, was 2003 at home against the Eagles, the Monday night football game. It was a must-win game in a season. We went 10-6 and and still didn't make the playoffs. You win that game, you get in. And the first play of the game, Donovan McNabb dialed up uh, is it James Pinkston, I think was his name. I'll never forget the what happened after the play because it was like a 48-yard gain on the first play of the game, and there was a bunch of Eagles fans there. And this grown man next to 16-year-old me put his pinky in my face and said, Pinky! And I was like, okay, going to be that kind of game. My first experience with Eagles fans in that one. I also went to a game in 04 in Seattle, the A.J. Feely butt injury game. So not very good early memories live. And then my next live game was 08 against the Patriots in Miami, the Wildcat season. And I was prepared to just go ham there in that game as far as, you know, talking my mess to Patriots fans about, we're going to sweep you guys and take the division this year. Didn't sweep them. Randy Moss scored three touchdowns. But we did win the division that year, so I got the last laugh. But Ricky caught a wheel route touchdown right in front of me. I'll never forget that. That was freaking awesome. But the first two Dolphins wins I ever saw in person were 2018, covering the game from the press box with the Dolphins' really cool fan site uh, promotion they had back in 2018 where you could they would let certain you know fan sites like Lockdown Dolphins come cover a game and get in the press box and go to the locker room and really experience the whole thing. And I, I, they beat the Bills in the first game. It was the Charles Clay, Josh Allen failed t- uh, touchdown throw at the end of the game. The Dolphins hung on to win. And then the next week was the Miami Miracle. And then I went to two games in 2019 in the same capacity, the Jets and Bengals, and won both of those two. So four in order to kick off my career in the press box. But to your final question, I am very, very, very excited for this year because I think we have a good team. But also last year just kind of sucked in general with COVID for all football purposes, college, pro, and otherwise. I'm just excited to have a little bit more normalcy, although it's not quite back to pure normalcy. Polo Rico, at Polo Rico, do you always travel with the team? If not, where do you watch the game? I'm imagining a dope screening room at Baptist Health Training Complex. Well, last year, if they were on the road, it was at home. And no, I'm not traveling this year. Uh, again, COVID protocols are still in place, so that hopefully that changes in the near future. But right now, it's I'm not traveling. But if I if it was available to me, I still wouldn't because we have the post game show here 
uh, on 560 WQAM, and I go and watch the game with Seth and OJ, which, by the way, we did one game together so far, a blast talking football with Seth and OJ all game long as we watch that thing and break it down. So the WQAM mm-hmm. studios have the game on. I go watch it there, and we jump on the postgame show right afterwards. And check that game out, by the way, or the postgame show out if you haven't done so yet, 560 WQAM and the Odyssey app, postgame with Seth Levitt, OJ McDuffie, and yours truly. But hopefully future in the future I can travel to the games as uh, hopefully COVID becomes a thing of the past here in the very near future. All right, that's it for the mailbag. Let's get into our NFL picks for the week. We're going to do this thing every single week and track my record. I haven't done it in a few years, so hopefully the the uh, secret sauce is still there, as it were. But it's a chance to embarrass myself, too, so hopefully it works out for me. But we took the Bucks last night over the Cowboys, and we start the Sunday slate. And actually, you know what? We're missing something here. We need a little bit of music for the background. Cue me up. There it is. Now it's time to pick some games. Seahawks at Colts. I think the injury situation in Indianapolis is a little bit too much to overcome. It sounds like Carson Wentz is back, but Quentin Nelson didn't practice earlier this week. They lost T.Y. Hilton for the season and Sam Tevy out as well. Plus, I think Russell Wilson continues to be an elite quarterback. Give me the Seahawks. Jag Jaguars. <laughs> Jag Jaguars. Jacksonville Jaguars at Houston Texans. This could be the first number one overall quarterback pick to win his first game since David Carr did it back in 2002, and he would do it in the same building Carr did. So give me Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Philadelphia at Atlanta. Give me the home team. Falcons offense is explosive, and while the Eagles, I think, did well to remake their secondary this offseason, that usually takes some time to gel and work. And with the fireworks, the Falcons can light up on offense. I think 30-plus points is in the forecast, and I do not think Philly can keep up. L.A. Chargers at the Washington football team. Give me the home team again. The Chargers are a darling of many a pundit, but I think the pressure that WFT can put on Justin Herbert can make him uncomfortable enough to help them win a tight game to kick off the season. That's a fun one. I can't wait to watch that one ahead of Dolphins and Patriots. Pittsburgh at Buffalo, the other game I'll probably have an eye on. Give me the Bills. I don't want to do it, but I have to because they're such a quality roster. And even if Josh Allen takes like a minor step back, he's still one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I like what they did to upgrade their pass rush with Gregory Rousseau and Carlos Basham. And I think that can give the Steelers offensive line problems on top of their offense having just too many weapons for the Steelers' defensive back end or defensive backfield depth in that secondary. San Francisco at Detroit, Niners. Minnesota at Cincinnati. I think Zim, uh, Mike Zimmer, comes back with one of his best game plans after a very frustrating season a year ago. He talked about being one of the worst defenses he ever coached. And, you know, being honest about that, we appreciate that. But the Bengals got faster at linebacker the last couple of seasons, but I think the Vikings run game is a different animal. Give me the Vikings on the road. The New York Jets at the Carolina Panthers. Sam Darnold gets his revenge in game number one, but it's more about the weapons that he has versus the Jets defense that the secondary is really lacking experience. I think those guys can put some points up on that Jets team in week number one. Arizona at Tennessee. Give me the Cardinals. Those two linebackers and Isaiah Simmons and Zayvon Collins are a good potential matchup for that power run game of Derrick Henry and the Titans. Now, Tennessee can get vertical, but I don't like their ability, or anyone really for that matter this year, to slow down Kyler Murray. What happened to my music? Let's get that back going again. Here we go. All right, back to the Cardinals and the Titans. 
Uh, yeah, it's slowing down Kyler Murray. I don't think anyone's going to be able to do it this year. I think a shootout here in favor of the road team is what we're looking at. Browns at Chiefs, the game of the week, Sands, Miami, and Patriots. I'm not picking against the Chiefs, though I do think this is the best matchup for them as they can really get pressure with four with Miles Garrett and all the boys they have up front there for the Cleveland Browns and can run the ball as well. And those additions in the secondary can really help them double up on guys like Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey should they choose. But yeah, it's Mahomes, it's Reed, it's the Chiefs. They can play poorly and still win games. Ridiculously good team. Dolphins and Patriots. Dolphins. Broncos at the Giants. Broncos on the road here. Give me the road team. I think they can heat up Daniel Jones with that front. And man, those cornerbacks are good. This is a perfect type of game for Teddy Bridgewater to guide the ship to victory. Packers at the Saints. Give me the pack. Neutral location, unfortunately, because of the tragedy with the hurricane. But then obviously on the football field is a good thing for the Packers not having to go into the Superdome. And we've talked about this with a few teams, but I don't think New Orleans has the horses on the back end to keep up with Rodgers and the boys on offense. Chicago and the Rams. Give me the Rams. I want to see fields already. Rams big. And then finally, Ravens and Raiders. Give me the Ravens on the road. I think the Ravens are one of the best teams in the league, and their offensive style can take the Raiders out of their game, which is to try to win track meets. But I think this game tilts in favor of the road team in every way. There's your NFL picks. We'll see how I do this week. Let's go ahead and turn this thing over now to college football. Now, I had it written down as the college six-pack, and before it even starts, we're going to rebrand because, well, at age 34... Or no, I turn 34 next month. See, this is my point. I'm already washed up. So it's a three-pack because I can't hang anymore. And here are the three games I'm looking forward to watching with an eye on the prospects. And it starts with number three, Ohio State, and number 12, Oregon. But man, Kayvon Thibodeau might not play in this game. He got hurt last week, had to go off in a boot. And Mario Cristobal said that he's trying to get there. He's not quite there yet. And I mean, it's Friday, so we'll see what happens. But I hope he plays. He's the best player in the country for my money. And he's been one of my favorite players since his freshman year when he came out in that Rose Bowl and before that too. But in that Rose Bowl, he was putting the heat on that Wisconsin offensive line that had a lot of pros on it. He's a damn good player. Number one prospect in this year's class for my money. C.J. Ferdell, the running back, he reminds me a bit of Miles Gaskin and his vision and feel. Very good runner, but also has Miles' three-down ability to catch the ball and pass protect as well. He's got a good backfield mate there and Travis Dye as well with some skills. And the Buckeyes, as always, same story. They are loaded Defensive end, Zach Harrison, he's built, he's athletic, he's violent, heavy-handed. He's going to be a top 20 or so pick this year if I had to guess right now. Defensive tackle, Haskell Garrett, had a very strong redshirt junior season last year. Finally got some playing time. I expect that to improve this year in his senior season as he gets more and more work after coming off the bench last year or or in the last couple years for guys like Tommy Togiai. Now, it's not quite Bama. But Chris Olave is receiver one in this class, and Garrett Wilson might be receiver two. Olave is a technician, but also has speed to burn, so he's tough to cover. And Garrett Wilson's just kind of a freak of nature. Every time I watch him, I'm like, damn, that guy, he doesn't look like everybody else out there. Thayer Munford, a six foot six, 325 pound left tackle with a fantastic punch hands and mirror ability. He's already got that pass protecting skill set that you hope can project to the pros. As for the game, I don't pick against Bama, Clemson, or Ohio State. And Georgia is almost on that list of don't pick against them, and they probably should be after taking down Clemson last week. What a hell of a game that was. But give me Ohio State in this one. Number 10, Iowa travels to number 9, Iowa State for the Cy, uh, Cyhawk game, they call it. Running back Brees Hall is a top prospect here for me. Three down, powerful, acceleration, athletic ability. 
Brock Purdy's up there too. He was bigger going into last season, had a bit of a down year. I'm not crazy high on him, but he's definitely worth watching to see which of these quarterbacks can rise up and kind of be that next guy in this year's class. I mostly love watching Matt Campbell coach because they play as much NFL concepts defensively as anybody in college football. And that was a big reason why I was so intrigued by Jamal Perry when he was added to the Dolphins club back in 2019. Some prospects, Charlie Kolar is a very nice looking tight end prospect, vertical stretch, seam threatened type of guy. Safety Greg Eisworth plays the game like Jonathan Abram did a few years ago coming out of Mississippi State, a total missile. And we wouldn't be talking about Iowa football if we didn't start in the trenches. Those were Ohio State pro- or Iowa State prospects, by the way. Iowa has Tyler Linderbaum, who is a dude, a guard-center combination player who's nasty and technically refined. He blows guys off the football. Running back Tyler Goodson, love this guy's game. Shift or shiftiness, elusiveness, pass-catching threat. There's some like Reggie Bush to his game when he gets in the second level with the start-stop, the dead-leg ability, the shiftiness at that second level. Fun player to watch. And then Zach Van Valkenburg is a heavy-handed end that can stack and shed and has a nice arsenal of rush moves as well. In the secondary cornerback, Matt Hankins, he has length and ball skills. He had five pass breakups and one pick last year on a shortened schedule. But in that game, uh, give me the Cyclones. Give me the Cyclones at home there with Matt Campbell leading the charge. Finally, the nightcapper, number 21-ranked Utah against BYU. Love me some early season rivalries. And those of you that have been with me for a long time know how much I love Kyle Whittingham. He coaches pros. That, that, pro, that program turns out pros every year. Just look at their class back in 2020. Julian Blackman was such an obvious stud to me that year. And of course, he's already a monster. Jalen Johnson, a damn good player. Leaky Fotu, Zach Moss. Tyler Huntley looks like he's going to get the backup job there in Baltimore. Travis, live in the now. Fine, I will. Linebacker Devin Lloyd. High school safety moved down into the box at the linebacker position. Six foot three, 235 pounds, and he can scoot. He's instinctive and tough as hell. Nick Ford can play all five spots on the offensive line. Probably projects inside, but he's another one of those dudes that plays with a lot of energy, and you love to see that on your offensive line. Defensive tackle Vianne Moala, six foot six, 320 pound Hawaii transfer. Powerful guy who's had some issues getting playing time because they're so deep at DT every single year, but this is the year he gets a chance. I think he's a guy that plays himself way up draft boards. As far as BYU goes, I want to get a good look at Chase Ayu. Yeah, that's right. A-H space Y-O-U. What a great name that is. But he's an Isaiah Simmons type, safety slash linebacker. Even has the profile to play corner at times, but I want to see how he moves out there. He is an impressive athlete. Running back Tyler Algier, not going to blow you away with his athletic makeup. That's probably why he was a walk-on, but he just produces yards. And then finally, their offensive line has guys all over the place. Guard Clark Barrington, six foot six, 302 pounds, part of a dominant BYU line that sent Brady Christensen to the league last year. But Barrington does some of that Michael Orr stuff where he just throws guys off the sideline like he did in the movie The Blind Side. But their center, also James Empey, is one of those guys that's played 100 games in college football and been good in almost all of them. Look to see him in the drafts in a, in a few months. And then Blake Freeland, the offensive tackle, six foot eight, but just 300 pounds, has the frame to add more. And he was a, high sc- a quarterback in high school. Great athletic ability there at that tackle position. All right, I'm getting there. Don't you just love this podcast? Me arguing with myself. And with that, you've probably had enough of it. How much fun was that? I, I had a great time putting this together for you guys. Remember, Sunday postgame show, 560 WQAM and the Odyssey app. The minute the clock hits triple zeros in New England, get yourself over there. Me, Seth, and OJ have a ton of fun breaking this stuff down. 
on the post-game show. And then I'll put together the first recap pod after that show wraps of the season. We'll have the three takeaways piece up on MiamiDolphins.com on Monday. We'll dissect the game further on Tuesday and just start the whole process over again. Guys, it's finally finally here. I'm going to get out of here. Going to take Care Bear to the beach on Saturday morning before that Oregon-Ohio State game. But for Friday night, Care Bear, daddy's coming home. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and OJ, my, my radio postgame co-host. Check out the media availabilities and our YouTube channel, Miami Dolphins YouTube channel, as well as MiamiDolphins.com for all the written content. Until next time, fins up.